And welcome, everybody, to the Pac-Man Podcast, prominent area conservative. I'm Ted Flint, your host. This is the Tuesday before Christmas, and all through the Flint house, a lot of people were stirring, especially my four young children. I got two teenage daughters, two young sons, and my wife and I have our work cut out for us. It's pretty hectic around here, as I'm sure it is for you, especially if you have children. It's just, uh, it's exciting, and it's it's exciting because you want to make Christmas magical for your children as it was magical, made magical for you by your parents. My parents made Christmases so special in our home, and that's what I'm looking, my wife and I are looking to do for our children. It's a special time of year. Yes, we celebrate the birth of Christ, our Lord and Savior, but if if you have kids, I mean, there's something about this time of year, it really, it's special. I mean, pandemic and all. We'll get into the pandemic, too. Try to weave in three or four different topics here in a few minutes. I, I want to keep this show. I'm going to try to keep it under 15 minutes, but it's going to be difficult because some of the things I've been hearing regarding the uh, the Christmas holiday is driving me crazy. I mean, every year it does with these advertisers and uh, people in the news. Or they they will go to great lengths to avoid saying Christmas. It's holiday this and holiday that. And we're, the kids are on their holiday break or their winter break. No, they're on their Christmas vacation break. It's not a winter break. It's not a solstice celebration or maybe in some quarters. It's Christmas. And that's all there is to it. It's, I was watching TV the other day and I, the tagline on one of these spots, I don't know who the advertiser was, but it was because you can't get enough of holiday. And I'm saying to myself, it doesn't even make sense. It doesn't even sound right. Can't get enough of holiday? Which holiday? Thanksgiving? I mean, St. Patrick's Day? Just say you can't get enough of Christmas, the magic of Christmas. But they don't, do, they don't want to do that. We're in the at season of Advent, the four weeks of Advent leading up to uh, Christmas. And, of course, the world doesn't see it that way. Because... We celebrate the birth of Jesus. It's an indescribable joy that the world cannot understand because the world didn't give it. So they can't understand it. They can't take it in because they didn't give it. The world only understands what it gives and it takes what it gives. And we're in that season, the season of Advent. The four weeks of Advent, hope, peace, joy, and love. You have the purple candles representing hope and uh, peace and love and joy is represented by the pink candle. And of course, the candle in the middle, the white candle represents Jesus. And uh, that's the Advent candle. Uh, Some of the Christmas songs, I mean, they're rocking around the Christmas tree, all the secular Christmas songs that we hear, Blue Christmas and all that. I don't listen to the radio, frankly, until after the Christmas season because the the local radio stations won't play really, they won't play good Christmas music. Maybe on Christmas Eve you'll hear Holy Night by Nat Cole or I'll Be Home for Christmas by uh, Perry Como. That's my favorite. That's my personal favorite. You never hear that, though. It's, you know, John Lennon. So this is Christmas. I mean, you know, three times a day. And uh, Feliz Navidad by uh, Jose Feliciano. It just drives you crazy. But rocking around the Christmas tree, Bobby Helms, God rest his soul. If I hear it again, I'm going to drive off the road. I, I, I can't listen to it. But can you imagine if you substituted holiday 
for Christmas in those song titles, Rockin' Around the Holiday Tree. It just doesn't have the same, the same uh, zip, does it? Have a holly jolly holiday. Burl Ives would be, well, maybe he wouldn't want to say Christmas. I don't know. He was, a, he was a leftist anyway. Blue Holiday. How would you like to hear Elvis sing Blue Holiday? I'll have a blue holiday without you. I mean, it isn't, it's ridiculous. Oh, holiday tree. Oh, holiday tree. I mean, just what, what's the harm in saying Christmas? I'll tell you what it is, what I think it is. Progressives, these Marxists who seem to have the upper hand in America right now, they want to turn America into a secular society. We are not a secular society the way they are in, in most countries in, in Europe and around the world. Most countries, I think, are secular. That's the way the world is going. The world has been given over to the, to the devil. We're still a Christian society here in America, less so than we were even a decade ago, but we're still a Christian nation. But the left is always pushing the envelope. They want to make us secular. Well, it ain't going to work. Not in, my, not in my neck of the woods. All right. To the presidential election, we'll spend just a couple of minutes on this because uh, it's, it's getting down to the nitty-gritty nitty for the president. He's got to make something happen here. We are almost at the end of December, and, you know, there are court cases pending. There is one in Michigan, which uh, has some constitutional merit. It's, this case is before the U.S. Supreme Court. Pennsylvania case has merit constitutionally. And uh, you don't hear about these cases because the media doesn't want you to know about them. But they're still out there. The Texas case was uh, shot down. The Supreme Court would not hear the lawsuit brought by the state of Texas against the four uh, states that are uh, where some voting irregularities took place. Let's just let's be honest here. Some outright fraud took place in Georgia, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan. And I think Nevada too, and probably Arizona. But the Texas case was shot down. And, and I think, and, and this was brought out by a congressman, I can't think of his name, uh, Patrick, Mike Patrick. Repo- I think it's Mike, Republican from Texas. He said he was privy to, to, to the Supreme Court, the, the justices debating this, of whether they would take up the case, uh, some of these cases. And Patrick said he heard some shouting on the other side of the, uh, the door. He, he said you could hear it. Justices Alito and Thomas brought up Bush Gore, and the other justices said they, they didn't want to hear about Bush Gore. They were not going to look into these cases. And I think, and Patrick made the point that he thinks the justices are afraid of what would happen if they did the right thing, if they did the moral thing, and have a look at some of these cases being brought before it, because they're afraid of what would happen if President Trump and his team were to be successful in overturning the results, not the results of the election. I think Trump won the election, but overturning the decision was this election was was fraught with so much fraud, it's unbelievable. They're afraid there'd be riots again. I think the high court is that's the reason. They're afraid of what would happen if they did say, you know something, we're gonna put a halt to this. We're gonna have another look at this, maybe another election even. Mike Flynn. Former national security advisor, he's he's pitching the president to institute martial law. In the president's inner circle, his advisors are advising him against that. That would be that would be so ugly. That'd be that'd be protests, and the president would have to put them down violently. Have you noticed all the riots have ceased? 
BLM, Antifa? Where are the riots? It's like Joe Biden just swept in there and cured systemic racism overnight. It's obvious is what, what's going on here. We can't have one party. One party rule is what the progressives want. And, and we're going to go through this every four years. We'll do it in 2024. We'll tee it up again. And then there'll be allegations of racism against whoever the Republican nominee is at that point, whether it's Trump again or whether it's Mike Pence or whoever it is, Ted Cruz, you're, he's a racist. He's a bigot. He's a homophobe. It's the same deal every four years when a Republican runs. There'll be riots again if the Republican appears to be doing well in the polls. There'll be all kinds of riots and turmoil. It's just obvious. We can't let, we can't be dictated to by forces uh, uh, that are forces of evil, frankly, in this country that are running this country, that are running and controlling the Democratic Party. They're beholden to these people. We can't let that happen. We live in a constitutional republic, and we have to fight to maintain it. We're going to fight to keep the Electoral College. We had former President Obama on one of these stupid uh, late shows, the comedy network there, that idiot, I can't think of it, Trevor, Trevor Noah. He was on with Trevor Noah talking about abolishing the uh, Electoral College. What ex-president has ever done that? has lowered himself and lowered the the office to go on a, a late-night show and talk about abolishing part of our history and our heritage. We're a constitutional republic. We're not a democracy. It's not one man, one vote. If it were, then Joe Biden obviously won by seven or eight million votes. A Democrat would win every election. They'd win California and New York and Chicago and all the states and the coast with all the population centers. That's not how it works. I'm getting sidetracked here. I want to get to some things. There is a, I think, a, a religious significance to the candy cane. Maybe not. If you look too deeply into it, I mean, uh, you know, it may be just wives' tale, but I mean, we'll go into the history of a candy cane. I'm looking at a site here called Christianity.com, and they say, according to candy history, candy canes appeared in 1670. Legend has it. That in 1670, the cane-shaped candy became a historical uh, fixture when a choir master at the Cologne Cathedral in Germany bent the sugar sticks into canes to appear as shepherd's hooks. Most historians say that any legend that ties the candy cane to Christianity most likely does not have enough proof to be substantial. Another account puts candy canes as late as the 1800s in terms of origin, showing that the candy originally started as a straight stick with no stripes. The curve and the red stripes came later. So anyway, I think Jesus is a, is a good example. He did this with, uh, in the parables. He Because people in those days were not educated. He was. Jesus was an educated man, well-read. And, of course, he was God in the flesh. But he managed to interweave biblical messages into common objects. I mean, he did it in the parables. He drew parallels to heaven and uh, other difficult-to-understand spiritual concepts by comparing them with everyday things. Again, a, a lot of his followers, most of the, of the apostles were not learned men. They were fishermen and people who worked with their hands. There were some who were educated. Luke was a, was a, uh, surgeon, was a, a doctor. And, uh, there was, and, of course, Paul, obviously. But there is a symbolism to the candy cane. And maybe it's not intentional, but um, let's take a, take a look at the, the shape of the candy. It's shaped as a J, and uh, the J is reminds us of Jesus. 
I think that's safe to say. I mean, why not? Even if it's not true in the origins, why not believe that? And in the Bible, let's look, take a look at the colors. White. In the Bible, it typically symbolizes purity. It could either be the purity of Mary, being a virgin, or the purity of Jesus, who was unblemished by sin. And uh, the red on the cross, or on the uh, candy cane, symbolizes Jesus' blood that he shed for us on the cross. I choose to believe that. I like that symbolism. I mean, Jesus' blood is everything to us. So the candy cane, the red on the candy cane, represents the blood he shed for us. And some say it represents, there's another uh, color on the candy cane. We have the optional green that appears on some of the candy canes, have you noticed? And uh, you get some debate among Christians over what that represents, but some say it represents hyssop, a plant widely used in the Old Testament, especially for Passover. So uh, that's a little bit of history of the, of the candy cane. And there's also a, a religious significance to the 12 days of Christmas. And I've done this every year I've been on the air when I had a show. Every year since, I don't know, maybe the mid-90s, there is a religious significance. The song, the 12 days of Christmas, we're all familiar with it. It's an English Christmas carol. And it was written in the late 16th century. And from 1558 until 1829, Roman Catholics, if you were a Catholic in England, you were not allowed to practice your faith, at least not openly. So somebody during that era wrote this carol as a catechism song for young Catholics. Now, I read somewhere years ago that it was a, a priest who wrote this catechism, this song for Catholics back in the 1600s. That may be the origin. I, I, again, I choose to believe this is the, the meaning of the 12 days of Christmas. So each element in the carol has a code, a code word for a religious reality, which the children could remember. Before we get to the meaning of the 12 days of Christmas, let me just remind you, if you're thinking of beginning a podcast, there is no better time than now to start a podcast. You could do one as easily as I'm doing this one. Maybe you've been thinking about it for a long time now, but haven't been able to pull the trigger. But you can do it. Buzzsprout is hands down the easiest and best way to launch a podcast. Not only that, but Buzzsprout gets your show listed in every major podcast platform. You'll get a great-looking podcast website, audio players that you can drop into other websites, detailed analytics to see how people are listening to your show, tools to promote your episodes, and a whole lot more. So why not join over 100 thousand podcasters already using buzzsprout get your message out to the world all you have to do is follow the link in the show notes and get started today plus if you sign up for a paid plan they're going to give you a 20 dollar amazon gift card again just follow the link in the show notes so that buzzsprout knows that i prominent area conservative sent you buzzsprout the easiest way to launch a podcast all right the 12 days of christmas my true love gave to me, according to uh, Ann Ball in her book, Handbook of Catholic Sacramentals, I, I think we mentioned that the uh, the history of the 12 days of Christmas began somewhere between 1558, 1829. I think it was a Roman Catholic priest who uh, wrote this song as a way, it's like, a, it's code. So these uh, young Catholics could practice their faith without without the government knowing about it, basically. So let's start from number 12 to number 1. The 12 drummers drumming symbolized the 12 points of belief in the Apostles' Creed. Every Catholic, I was raised Catholic, I could recite every single word of the Apostles' Creed verbatim. It's, not, it's drilled into you at a very young age. Believe me, I haven't been a practicing Catholic in 
you know, 15 years at least. Uh, but I could give you every single word of the Apostles' Creed. The 11 Pipers piping stood for the, or stands for the 11 faithful apostles. The 10 lords are leaping, the 10 commandments. The nine ladies dancing were the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit, charity, joy, peace, patience, goodness, mildness, fidelity, modesty, and chastity. The eight maids are milking, the eight beatitudes. The seven swans are swimming. I want to break out in song, don't you? The seven swans are swimming represented the sevenfold gifts of the Holy Spirit, prophecy, serving, teaching, exhortation, contribution, leadership, and mercy. The six geese a-laying stood for the six days of creation. The five golden rings represented the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, which described uh, man's fall into sin and the great love of God and sending a Savior. The four calling birds, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The three French hens stood for, or stand for, stood for, I guess we can say, we can use past tense, stood for faith, hope, and love. Two turtle doves, the Old and New Testaments. And the partridge in a pear tree is the, the true love. The one, you, the, the one true love you hear in the song is not a smitten boy or a girlfriend, but Jesus Christ. Because truly, love was born on Christmas Day. The partridge in the pear tree also represents Jesus because that bird is willing to sacrifice its life, if necessary, to protect its young. And that's what Jesus did for us. He sacrificed his life so that we may have eternal life. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. And, you know, you can try to take Christmas and Christ out of Christmas and say it's a holiday tree and it's a holiday party and, you know, holiday holiday this and holiday that. But, you know, to, to us, it's Christmas. So to, to those of us who practice and who know the Lord and uh, know where we're going when this life is over, it's always going to be Christmas, and we just hope that and pray. I hope and pray, and my wife does too, that you and yours have a blessed Christmas. Enjoy the season, because it's here and gone before you know it. And uh, there are twelve days of Christmas. It's not a one and done. It's not just Christmas Day and we're done. A lot of Christians believe that's the case, and you know maybe it's because I was raised Catholic. But there are twelve days of Christmas, and enjoy each one of them. And a lot of Christian uh, denominations, a lot of Christian people, they'll celebrate the entire month of January. Our Christmas tree stays up until last year, I think it was up till uh, beginning of February. We had a real tree. There were needles all over the place. <laughs> That's going to wrap things up. Again, have a blessed Christmas, you and yours. Enjoy the time. Uh, if those of you are uh, furloughed from work as I am, enjoy your time at home and uh, be thankful for what you have. I mean, 2020 people are saying 2020 is an awful year. We had the pandemic and this and that and Trump lost the election. But you know something? The Lord is still on the throne. God is still on the throne. He is still in charge. Life is good, and uh, it's going to get better. All right, this is Prominent Area Conservative, uh, Pac-Man for short. My name is Ted Flint, and if the Lord wills it, we'll talk to you real soon. The Pac-Man Podcast was recorded by Ted Flint, produced and edited by Ken Burns, music by Kevin McLeod. Be sure to tune in to the next episode of the Pac-Man Podcast with Ted Flint.